Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. It's taken from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Julian, thank you, brother. We love you. Looking forward to lunch. Thank you. <laughs> so last Sunday, I told you a few weeks ago that Julian had been requested from our missions department since there would be a luncheon that he would read scripture, assist in the service. I said, well, we have started this series on the Sermon on the Mount and we'll be in the very first beatitude. I will only be preaching from one verse. We can have Julian read one verse, but I think people will want to hear more because of his voice. And I received a wonderful suggestion from a woman who often attends at the 11 o'clock, who's here this morning, Janie. Hamner, good morning. Hi, wave, let everybody see where you are. Yeah, so just so you know, I do read email and I respond when there are good ideas. Sometimes I'm not able to respond to every good idea or bad, but this was a good idea. And she suggested while we're in the Beatitudes, though you're only preaching on one, why don't you read all of them? It will help us memorize them. It will help us know them better. And I thought it was a great idea. Julian was willing to do it even though he was on crutches, and so we're grateful. Jesus opened his mouth, and he spoke. I don't want us to ever miss that part of this sermon. Jesus went up on the hillside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. So the words that he spoke were for his followers, for his disciples. And the very first word, it says, after verse 2, he opened his mouth, he said, blessed. Last week, I shared about the word blessed, that it means happiness, not a shallow, worldly happiness that's based on circumstances, but a deep, abiding happiness. I also shared that none of these beatitudes are negotiable. And we are in a world, especially in our country, I think, with so many choices always, that we're typically thinking everything's negotiable. I can have this, or I might not have to. I like this, I don't like this. This is not how we treat the Word of God ever. It certainly isn't how we treat the sermon that Jesus preached. 
So these beatitudes are not negotiable, nor are they natural. Everything that Jesus says here goes against the way sin has impacted us and hardwired us. And so when Jesus says in the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, being poor in spirit is not natural to us. It's not something that you even see usually listed on a job description for a pastor or a church staff member. We're so prone to the ways of the world where we focus on self-confidence, self-assurance, self, self, self. Well, Jesus spoke these words at a specific time, and they were recorded for us. They were true then, they're true now, but this is important. We need to know what he meant by the words. We need to know what he meant to those who were the first listeners. And if we understand what he meant, what these words meant to them, we'll understand what they mean for us. We looked at the word blessed already. If you weren't here last week, you can listen to that to understand more fully what it means. But then he says in his very first beatitude, which is on purpose and sets the course for the others, blessed are the poor in spirit. As we move forward studying these beatitudes, there is a framework we need to use, and it's this. First, we need to know what the beatitude means and what it doesn't mean. For example, blessed are the poor. Well, immediately we might think Jesus is talking about physical poverty, and he's not. We might think he's talking about material poverty, he is not. While physical poverty and material poverty certainly can lead to being poor in spirit, you can be very poor financially, very poor in terms of physical means, and still not be poor in spirit. Or you could have many, many blessings, incredible material blessings, and actually be poor in spirit. But you could also have many things that you can touch and accounts that you can read that are full and not be poor in spirit. So it's very important that we understand what each word means and what it doesn't. It's also very important that we understand the blessing that Jesus associated with it. In this case, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Often the commentaries that you read about these Beatitudes spend a lot of time talking about the, the Beatitude itself, but miss the, the blessing. And this is important. If we miss the blessing, we actually end up missing what might sustain the reality of that Beatitude in our life. So we've got to focus on both. Then we must come to a place, all of us in our life, where we take what we've heard and we examine our lives in the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, today, you must leave saying, am I poor in spirit? If you have listened well, you'll know that you cannot answer that question alone. Only God can tell you. Which means, lastly, we'll be looking at how, then, do we become what Jesus is telling us? Because these are not natural. And our natural instinct will be to do the very thing Jesus is telling us not to do. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? In a word, bankruptcy. There's not many people in this church, and probably not even very many people you know, who will actually go through bankruptcy. You'll read about companies, you might even own a company, and you yourself may have gone through personal bankruptcy. 
But most of us will not experience a physical bankruptcy. We may have hard times financially. Things might get really, really serious. But bankruptcy spiritually is what Jesus has in mind. And bankruptcy means that you have nothing in your account. It means you have nothing that can be collected, nothing that can be added, no contribution from your account can be given because it's empty, it's bankrupt. And while we will likely, most of us not experience physical bankruptcy, financial bankruptcy, we all, because we're born in sin, have the exact same deficit at the beginning. Spiritually speaking, all, all of mankind, all of our bank accounts are empty. We are spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. There is nothing you have in your account. There is nothing that you can bring to say, God, holy, living, righteous God, look at my deeds. Look at my deposits. Look, there's been more good than bad. None of us. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he is speaking about a spiritual poverty. And the reason spiritual poverty and seeing yourself as you actually are, recognizing who you actually are according to God's word, the reason it's a blessing because unless we see that's the condition of our soul, we will never see the need for a savior who alone can fill that account with himself. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he is speaking of spiritual bankruptcy. Sinclair Ferguson says, we are poor men and women in ourselves. We have no righteousness of our own to plead before God. We are bankrupt debtors in court. The only time I've really come close to experiencing bankruptcy was when I was in another country and I had plenty of my currency, the dollar, but I had none of theirs. And my currency meant nothing to them. There was no way I could give them a dollar or a hundred dollars and it would make any difference because they weren't connected to our financial systems. They were in a jungle and their money was different. I was bankrupt. I had to pay. If I didn't pay, we didn't eat. If we didn't eat, what would happen? Someone else had to enter in. Spiritually speaking, and I want to make this extremely clear, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, spiritually, apart from Christ, are bankrupt. But what Jesus is saying is that's a blessing. And the reason it's a blessing is that if we recognize that about ourselves, then we are on our way to understanding the need we have for a savior. Here's the good news. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've rested and received Jesus alone for salvation, then you are a person who has been poor in spirit because only those who are poor in spirit can come to saving faith. At some point in your life, whenever it happened, God himself, and he has to do it, that's how poor we are, how bankrupt we are, he made known to you the need that you have spiritually. Whether you were five or 15 or 25 or 50 
or whether it is a today and you're way past midlife. God is the one who makes us aware of that spiritual poverty. When he does, we become poor in spirit and then we pray for that salvation. But here's the reality. While we never lose our salvation, once saved, always saved, we certainly can lose that spirit of being poor, poor in spirit. Like so many things, one day we can see it and then that love can be lost. That reality can be lost. We can forget that this is the position we were in apart from Christ. And that's really important. When we forget, what happens then is we, like the people of Galatia, we start believing falsely and putting our security in other things. One of them is self-righteousness. One of them is in the gifts that we have. One of them would be in the works that we do as if those are the things now filling up our account. Your account and my account before a living God is only gonna be seen as full because of Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit. My favorite work on the Sermon on the Mount, at least right now, is Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is his book on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We have them. They may be sold out. You can get them on Amazon. They're easily available. It's a worthy read. Listen to what he says being poor in spirit means. It means a complete absence of pride. The opposite of poor in spirit is pride in self. Any pride in self. And remember as I read this, Satan loves the word almost. And so be careful that he's not tempting you to have just a little pride in self or a little pride in name or a little pride in your works. Spiritually speaking, apart from Christ, we are nothing. He says it means, poor in spirit, a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance and of self-reliance. It means a consciousness that we are nothing in the presence of God. It is nothing then that we can produce. It is nothing we can do to ourselves. It is just this tremendous awareness of our other nothingness as we come face to face with God. Now, do you begin, can you begin to see how different this is to our natural selves? Can you begin to see how different it is to the world we live in? The world where you and I are raising children and grandchildren who are hearing a very different message, often even in the churches and ministries that they're parts of. It's subtle. Being poor in spirit, Lloyd-Jones continues, means this. It means this, that if we are truly Christian, we shall not rely upon our natural birth. We shall not rely upon the fact that we belong to certain families. We shall not boast that we belong to certain nations or nationalities. We shall not build upon our natural temperament. We shall not believe in and rely upon our natural position in life or any powers that may have been given to us. We shall not rely upon money or any wealth we may have. The thing about which we shall boast will not be the education we have received or the particular school or college to which we may have been. No, all that is what Paul called to be regarded as dung, a hindrance to this greater thing because it tended to master and control him. We shall not rely upon any gifts like that of natural personality or intelligence or in general or special ability. 
We shall not rely upon our own morality and conduct and good behavior. We shall not bank to the slightest extent on the life we have lived or are trying to live. No, we shall regard all that as Paul regarded it, dung. That is poverty of spirit. There must be a complete deliverance from an absence of all this. I say again, it is to feel that we are nothing and that we have nothing and that we look to God in utter submission to him and in utter dependence upon him and his grace and his mercy. This is what justification is all about. It is seeing ourselves correctly according to scripture and not buying into something, something that is almost right. That's Satan's masterpiece. Where we begin to say, well, just a little bit of my morality or just a little bit of the school I went to or a little bit of my family's name or a little bit of this. Spiritually speaking, poor in spirit means to be bankrupt. There's nothing that we bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Now this is where it's powerful. And this is why we have to focus on the consequence or the, the, the result of the beatitude. And that is, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we recognize what Jesus is saying, what I'm communicating to you from his sermon is true, then we come to him, we rest in him, we receive him. And the reward of that is we are now citizens of his kingdom. A kingdom that is unlike any earthly kingdom. A kingdom that is going to live forever, in which he is the head. That is not a kingdom that is waiting for us. It doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven already ushered in, already experiencing this. And here's what that means. You move from the deficit of having nothing, literally nothing, absolute nothingness to bring to God, to now being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now having the only garment that can cover your nakedness, having the only account that can Fill the bankruptcy, having the only covering that the Lord says, I now see them as my own. This is why the matter, this matters. It's why seeing the blessing of being citizens of the kingdom matters. Right now, for all who are in Christ, it's because at some point in your life, the Lord revealed to you your poverty of spirit. You may not have said it that way, but that's what he did. At some point, you prayed for salvation in Christ. Now, this side of heaven, the challenge is for you to remember to live as one who, have been, who has been saved from that. And it's by his grace and his grace alone. And so what happens is the world and the enemy and our own flesh tempts us to continue to put our own things in the account, our own works, our own skills, our own talent, our own personality, our own experiences, it would never be enough. And Jesus teaches us, remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have me. I am your king. There is no need that you have I will not meet. 
Yes, this side of heaven you will suffer. I've never promised this side of heaven to take away suffering, but I promise to give you myself. The suffering actually will be used by God to make us poor in spirit. What does that mean? Once again, coming to the end of ourselves. Let me close with this. In the Bible, there are times where Jesus gives an incredible illustration, and one of those is the prodigal sons. The first son we know well, he is the one who rejects what his father has taught him, and he wants his inheritance early so he can go squander it, and he does. As Luke tells Jesus' story, records it, he says this about the son. The son went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was poor now. He had never been poor. He wasn't poor when he lived with his father. He wasn't poor for a while after, in fact, quite rich. But now he's poor physically. But he's not poor spiritually. He hires himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. The prodigal was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, another translation might say it this way, when he came to the end of himself. What does that mean? It means God showing him grace by making him not just poor physically, but now poor spiritually. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, which is true. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And as he arose, he came to his father. And can you imagine him walking back to his father? What is he going to say? He's told us what he's going to say. He's unworthy. This is what I'll do. But he has no, no idea that he's about to receive grace. When the father sees him, he runs towards him. He calls for the servants to kill the fattened calf, to bring his robe. And he embraces him and he kisses him. Can you imagine the odor? Can you imagine the sight? Can you imagine this robe going on this nasty body? But this is Jesus telling us of the grace of God and the love of God, even when he reveals to us our spiritual poverty. The reason understanding what poor in spirit means, as well as the blessing that follows, is that between now and eternity, God continues to show us his grace and mercy. He continues to show us, even when we forget we're poor in spirit, that this is who we are. And what we must do is never take these beatitudes and leave here saying, this is what I got to go and do now to become poor in spirit. You might ask, and it's a good question, how do I become poor in spirit? How can I maintain a poverty of spirit? Well, that's the right question, and here's why. At the end of Jesus' sermon, I shared this last week, he talks about a wise builder and a foolish builder. Both heard the same thing, and both experienced storms described in the same way. 
One was a wise builder who built his house on the words that he had heard, on the word Jesus. And one was foolish. He heard the same thing but did nothing about it. So which are you? We're not going to wait for 30 weeks to look at that part of Jesus' sermon. We're going to look at it Sunday after Sunday as you ask the question of yourself and of God, who am I? Am I wise or am I foolish? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? Have you been poor in spirit? How do you become poor in spirit? Let me close with this. The only way to become poor in spirit is to stop looking at yourself. You must look at the living God. The living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the only one who can make us see correctly. So that's how poor we really are. And he delights in doing it. Soon you're going to hear another beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Today, if you have no interest in this beatitude, then you must seriously evaluate where you are with the Lord. Today, if you're saying, I, I know my life is consumed with things other than Christ, but I want to be poor in spirit, then you're becoming poor in spirit already because you would never have that desire if he wasn't at work. Today, if you're sitting here saying, I've studied this before, I am poor in spirit, I've got this, but I know a lot of other people who are not, that's not being poor in spirit. <laughs> Sinclair Ferguson, in the very last sentence of his commentary on being poor in spirit says this, in fact, there is no sadder commentary on our own lack of spiritual poverty than the readiness so many of us have to let others know what we think. But the man who is poor in spirit is the man who has been silenced by God and seeks only to speak what he has learned in humility from him. I share that with you because I love to share what I think. Maybe that's why God gave me, as a favorite verse, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. And as I do that, I'm reminded of who I am in him. I am his beloved son. By grace and grace alone, he opened my eyes to my spiritual poverty, and he still does. And then he says, but don't forget, you are my beloved son. Friends, it's always grace. It's always his love. Father in heaven, we know these words are your words, and we know that we have a real enemy that tempts us to add to them, to delete them, to say like or dislike, but these aren't negotiable and nor are they natural. But Father, if we are in you, we have been born again. We are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So Father, if there are any here today who have never heard these things, who admit because your spirit's at work that they're poor in spirit and need Jesus, save them now. Friends, simply cry out to the Lord.
Jesus and say, have mercy. Confess your sins to him. Receive him as your savior and tell someone that you've done that today. Father, for those here who know you already, I pray that you would restore to us the right understanding of who we are in you, that we would stand as we are, as the beloved daughters and beloved sons of the living God, and that we would remember as we delight in the blessings of being a part of your kingdom, citizens in your kingdom, that it began with the admission of a poverty, a bankruptcy of soul that has been filled by the Holy Spirit for your glory and our good. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.